0: Okay, good evening. Tonight's cheer is sponsored (laughs) Rafua Shalema Eliezer Shraga Ben Yochevit Chana. Toshem, he should have a Rafua Shalema Bekarov. Topic this evening is uh, analyzing a few of the Hashkafos and the insights that we gained from. Rabbi Gershon Edelstein, Zech of Racha, obviously to, uh, to have an entire overview of his life and his hasmada, his diligence, all of the, the varied uh, accomplishments that he was part of in the establishment and the enhancement of Torah and Eretz Yisrael and beyond is well above the scope of our limited time together. But I did want to take a few moments to focus on some of the, the main hashgrafos that we've heard over the years, some of the, the guiding principles that Rav Gershon lived by, and uh, to appreciate what we've lost, and also to appreciate what we've gained. This is an article going back to the middle of COVID, 2020, Hagun HaRav Gershon Edelstein answered a Chinuch question recently that's on the minds of many parents with teenagers at home during the current coronavirus. A parent asked, there are children in the house above the age of 12 who aren't keeping to a schedule because they're in the house all the time. They're going to sleep late, they're waking up late in the morning. How much should we be makbed with them on zman and kriyashmah. That was the question posed to Rav Gershon Edelstein. He responded, never force only darchei noam. Rak darchei noam. It has to be pleasant. So the parent clarified, meaning t- to nudge them the darchei noam. And Rav said back, no, no, never nudge only darchei noam. The children knows what's good for them. You should encourage them, and hopefully they'll have a cheshek through your encouragement. Force doesn't have any influence at all. It causes the opposite effect. It's usher to force a child only through darchei noah. In general, Gersh Edelstein concluded, if there's a healthy atmosphere in the home, so then, naturally, the child will, will imitate what his parents are doing. It's the nature of a child, but if you force him, he'll do the exact opposite, he'll run away. You're being the Koach of Merida, which means you're awakening that spirit of rebellion. Only through Darchei Noam, a child should never be criticized, never be forced, and this is a guiding rule when it comes to Chinuch the V'Habanos, and how we educate and try to inspire our children. He said regarding the classroom, you know, oftentimes you'll have a kid or two or three misbehaving and you're trying to somehow subdue them and keep the whole class engaged and it could be a very difficult process. So Gershin writes that when it comes to the classroom setting, yesh li the of the rabbi, you have to speak to a child. You have to guide him in a different direction. Try your best not to humiliate him in the front of the rest of the class. Take him individually. Speak to him, and what do you say? So the first thing is you have to start off praising him and letting him know that he's a bal madriga. He has tremendous cojos. You're going to do incredible things, and I know who you are. But this mitokh avas and when it's coming through a genuine love for the student, only at that point in time is it possible to redirect him. Of bli ava lo But one of the guiding mantras of a Gershon was bli ava If you don't have real love, it's not difficult. It's impossible to inspire. It's impossible to be Mahia if you don't really feel that it's not about me. It's not my frustration. It's not my kavod. It's not my my lack of patience. I'm I'm sharing this insight or this angle or this critique only because I love you and I want your best. But bliava ef shar lahashpiya. He said that when you try to force a child to do anything, even if you know it's the right thing, and it's a chiyuv, and you want to be makayim, your mitzvah, being makhanich, the child, forcing him is actually the exact opposite of chinuch. You're almost pushing him off the derech. It has to be darchei noah. He would quote the Mishnah and Avos of Oheves Abriyosa Makar the Torah. And we know that the, the basic understanding of that Mishnah is the way you bring people closer to Torah is through Oheves Sabrios, My love for you can enable me to bring you closer to Hashem. Rav Gershon would point out the the Mishnah is not giving a suggestion. The Mishnah is not telling you one of the most effective means of being of someone is through letting them know that you love them Rather, it's saying, this is the only way to be makariv. Oh, heves a the Torah. If you don't have that real Ava, you have no chance at bringing someone closer to Hashem. It's not going to work. He went on to explain, though, that the Ava is not something we have to develop or create. Ava is Beteva. It's part of our nature. It's part of the Neshama. I love you automatically, there are things that get in the way. You might be annoying right now, so it's hard for me to feel that love. But the love is really there for every single Jew. It's embedded in my neshama. We find this idea actually in the writings of the Rebbeinah Bechayah, in the Chobos Levavos, in when he speaks about one of the benefits of, of living with a sense of bitachon, of really having that clarity that Hashem is running every step of my life, is that I'm able to love people in a more genuine and real way. Why do I love you more? Because I have bitachon Hashem. So the Baha'i explains, when I'm living a life of the illusion of, of hishtadlus, and maybe you could take something from me Right? There's an unhealthy competition. It's me versus you. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not really in total control, but we have to fight it out. So then you have this ma'akev, you have a mechitza, you have this barrier. When you're living with that breakthrough, where I understand that everything is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of course we have to play the game of Ishtadlas, but it's all Hashem directing every aspect of my life. So then... I don't have to feel jealous. I don't have to be competitive. But how does that explain why I love you? That just takes away the the negativity. How does that explain why I would have this, this real desire to connect with you? Where does that come from? And the answer is because that's always there. That's part of the essence. That's part of the makeup of the neshama. There are things that get in the way. However, he would caution that there's a distinction between being a chavir and being a yedid. You want to be loving and friendly, but you're not your child's friend. You're not the friend of a student. You can't create this equal playing ground where you lose that that healthy respect and that reverence that a child (laughs) should have for a parent. And if they start referring to you in terminology such as bro, right? I've been the recipient of that a couple of times. Okay. Then you have to call them out. We don't call Tati bro. I'm not a bro. I'm your father, and I love you dearly, but you can't refer to me as bro. We're not a in that sense. However, a love and a connection that we're, that we're striving for. Right? So that's fine balance of exuding the love, getting rid of all of those mechitzos that allow the natural love to come pouring out, but in a way where we're able to maintain that healthy, that healthy respect that a child hopefully has for a parent or for a teacher. Simcha Sakhay. Now, it's unfortunate because many of the pictures of Rav Gershon Edelstein, they don't portray him as, as mollei simcha, as overwhelmed with joy. But, Baruch Hashem, there are definitely pictures that do capture his real, genuine simcha sachayim. He would speak about the importance of simcha sachayim as a fuel for having a vitality and an energy in life. And where does simcha sachayim come from? Right, I'm trying to, to, to create an environment within my home in my classroom, I want the children going, growing up within this, this viva, with this, this culture, to feel that we're not like bound or restricted by the Torah, but this is something that we feel fortunate to embrace. We really do have that sense of So where does that joy come from? It comes from being empowered. If I feel that I'm capable, if I feel it's possible to excel, I could have a mastery over something, then I have a chance of feeling simcha sachayim. Take a look here at page two. This is also a direct quote from R. G. Edelstein. He says, Ha-simcha hi ma'od. Joy in life is so critical A person who has a feeling of joy, he has energy, he has vitality. And when a child's able to get a little bit of a glimpse into what they can accomplish, into what they can do through healthy praise and feedback and encouragement, Huzamach b'chelko then a child feels, I'm happy with who I am, I'm happy with where I am in life, and I'm motivated to continue growing. He used to say that when the Mishnah tells us, Ezehu Asher, Samech Bechelko, being happy with what you have is not limited to the realm of Gashmias, but it's true within Ruchnias as well. We have to be sameach Bechelko. We have to give up the impression that whatever you've done up until this point is incredible, and you should cherish this, and you should cherish yourself. Don't be mistapic b'chelko. Not to be complacent. I always want more. I want to stay hungry for further growth, but cherish the fact that, look at this. Right at the beginning of the year, you had a very difficult time making a laning, being able to read a Pesach the way you do now, right? the growth has been incredible. Simcha comes through a sense of accomplishment. Now, applying some of these concepts to halacha la right? practically speaking, let's jump into a classroom. And it's interesting because Gershon Edelstein will, in a moment, discuss a little bit of his background, but he was the go-to address for all questions relating to to the of all ages, from little boys and girls, to bochrim, to yeshiva students, to kolal men. And he used to speak about the purpose of testing children. What's the point of a Bechina? So I think if you were to ask the vast majority of people they would probably say one of two things. Let's get a random answer. What would you say, what is the point of a teacher testing their students? What do you say? To see their knowledge. To see their knowledge, right? See if they understand what's going on in the classroom. That's probably one of the most common answers. Another answer could be to motivate them to study. Right? I have a hechrich. I have a reason why I have to review the material because I know tomorrow's the big exam. Rav Gershon Edelstein said, the point of a Bechina, the reason why a teacher gives a test, is really not for any of those reasons. If you're teaching well and you're connecting with your students, you don't need to give them a Bechina to know where they're holding and what they understand. You pretty much could size up everybody. That's why, by the way, when I was in high school, I would always do really well on the first few exams because I I knew that the teachers wouldn't really grade the test. No one sits there and reads every question. Once they get the picture of you as like, oh, he's a studious kid, so then you can assume that throughout the rest of the year they'll just continue assuming you know what you're talking about. But that's not why we give the Bechina. And it's not to motivate or to create a fear factor. You have to study because tomorrow's the big day. Rather, Explain the Gesh and Edelstein. The reason we give tests is to be able to give the students a sense of accomplishment. That I can walk away. I, the little boy, the little girl, I could walk away after taking a test, feeling, wow, I really have a mastery of this information. I really learned this, this stuff well. And therefore, halakh alamisa, what does this translate into? When you're creating the test, the goal is not to, to, to get you, right? And we all have those teachers trying to write the question, if not for not having the, right? No. The goal is, I want every kid to do extremely well. Now, if I make the test too easy, that also doesn't really accomplish the, the purpose of being you. Because if you feel you didn't have to try, then you don't have that sense of accomplishment. Now, that also requires a real analysis of where each child is holding and likely giving somewhat of a different test to different children based on what they need would be the appropriate move. And Edelstein was very much a fan of that. So that view, that perspective of what we're trying to do with our children, what we're trying to accomplish in the classroom? What is the point of having a Bechina? It's a very, very different worldview. view. Rav Gershon himself was born in 1923. So he passed away 100 years old. His father Ratzfi the Edelstein moved to Eretz Yisrael in 1934 when he was a little boy. His mother passed away when they were still living in Russia. Rabbi Edelstein Sr. moved with Gershon, his brother Yaakov, and his sister. And the three siblings lived together in Eretz Yisrael. There was a relative in Ramat HaSharon who invited them to come and join them. And the only house they could afford was a chicken coop. Right? A chicken coop. And we complain when we only have two ovens and not three. right? Their father would sit together with his two sons, they would learn Torah all day. Chamesh, Navi, Shas. Shas with the Rosh and the Rif. On Shabbos they would learn the Rambam, relating to the mesach that they were learning. There was no such thing as Yeshiva for little Gershon and Yaakov. They didn't have Ben Tarim, Ben HaZmanim. They learned with their father. During this time, the early years in Eretz israel Rabbi Yehud became enthralled with a safer that he found called the Chazonish. At that point in time, people didn't really know the Chazonish. So he was compelled to visit the author, and that's when he began a lifelong relationship with the Chazonish. He brought his boys, little Gershon and Yaakov, with him, and the Chazanish asked them questions on the Masech they were learning. He gave them a Bechina, I assume with the same motivation as with Gershon Edelstein, to make them feel good about themselves. As time went on, Rav Gershon developed more of a Kesher Shel kayama real lasting relationship with the Chazanish. And then eventually, Rabbi Shmuel Rezovsky was uh, appointed the Rosh Shiva of Panovich, Panovich, the new yeshiva on the block. This is going back to 1944. And <coughs> Shmuel went to the Edelstein home and he asked if the boys wanted to join the yeshiva to be one of the first group of Talmudim. Six Talmudim began in the yeshiva of Hanavich. 1944, when the yeshiva opened, so Gershon began his learning there under the guidance of Shmuel Rosatsky, the great yeshiva of the time. And after a couple of years, he was appointed as a Magid shir, and he himself gave shir in Panovich. He started doing this when he was a young man, still not married, and he did so pretty much for the next 80 years of his life. Never getting any uh, promotion, so to speak, never becoming the Rosh Hashiva at any official capacity. He was a Magid shir in Panovich for 80 years. That's what he did for a living, and on the side, he tried helping Kalal Yisrael, giving Eitzah and Hedracha to the best of his abilities. A lot of what we see and we appreciate from Rav Gershon Edelstein, a lot of these ideas are not, they're not chedushim, right? They're not breakthrough, radical ideas, totally revolutionizing the, the world of Chinuch. But what made it so powerful is the fact that these ideas were coming from a human being who was really living, living everything he spoke of. We have this very strange conversation that takes place between Moshe and Yisro in the Parsha, where Moshe is trying to convince Yisro to stay with us in the Midbar. We need you. Please don't go back home. And he had his own reasons why he wanted to leave. Different interpretations are given. Rashi says he wanted to go home to be able to be Megai or Mishpachto, to convert his family and bring them all under the sheltering wings of the Shechina. The argument, though, that Moshe makes to his father-in-law, he says, Please don't leave us. You know are encamping in the Midbar. You will be for us. You will be our eyes. You will be our eyes. The Dasikadim explains that Moshe was trying to guilt Yisro into staying by saying, We need you more than any other man here. What's special? What's unique about you? yomru Because those of us who will see you, that you're staying with us and you're continuing the journey and you're totally one of the, the B'nei Yisrael, and you didn't go home and you left everything behind, then they're going to see and recognize and have a deeper appreciation of all the incredible nisim and niflos that Hashem has done for us. Because they're seeing you, they're looking at you, and I am meaning that you're going to enlighten us, into a, 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 a deeper, more, more passionate love of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Now, everyone there was well aware of the fact that they've been through some pretty incredible things together, and they all had a real emunah a and bitachon. But looking at Yisro, and seeing here's a human being that is living his life based on all of these values. Here's a human being that was willing to change everything he was doing up until this point because of the reality and the truth of Torah and the reality and the truth of HaKadosh Baruch The fact that we know all these things are true doesn't have the same impact as it does when we see someone living his life based on that truth. When we heard these hashkafos, when we had the ability, those who were there together with Rab Gershon, or those of us who were able to read his svarim, knowing that there's someone alive who not only preaches, so to speak, these hashkafos at Torah, but he embodies these hashkafos at Torah, it gave us more of a reality of what this means and what we're striving for. I want to read to you an incredible letter that Rav wrote in 2020, also during the real uh, the real pacha of Corona. This is the summer of 2020 on page 6. He's writing this letter to to be mechazek and to encourage others. Obviously it was a very scary time Mm -hmm. and every day we were getting news that someone else passed away or someone else is deathly sick. What are we supposed to be focusing on now? We're all stuck home. We're in isolation. Like you mentioned before, right? The kids aren't going to school. They're off schedule. Family life is difficult. Marriage is strained. What are we supposed to be focusing on? So he starts off by encouraging, obviously, the learning of Torah, Talmud Torah, Kenegat Kulam. But then for the majority of his letter, He speaks about, right now, the call of the hour is being able to maintain composure and focus on what's important within the bias and my relationship, my relationship with my spouse, my relationship with my children. When I'm speaking to someone on the phone, what are we talking about? How are we speaking about others? Listen to some of these lines that he writes. Everything we do, all of the ruchnias that we try to strive for during this time of COVID, should be Batsura and the ima in a pleasant way. yargish noim You want to create a feeling of pleasantness in the home without any frustration. It should be b'simcha ubehumor and you should be able to laugh a little bit. Don't lose your humor. It should be pleasant, it should be relaxed. To keep that smile. Now, how in the world do you maintain a when you're living in darkness and confusion and you're being fed so many different lies and you have no clue what tomorrow's going to bring and people are actually dying? Stay focused. Rav Gershon would say, and it was interesting, with Usher Weiss, Shlita, when he gave a brief eulogy for Rav Gershon Edelstein, he focused on Rav Gershon Edelstein's Svaray Yeshara. He wasn't known for being crazy, brilliant, or he didn't necessarily have the same bikius mastery of every part of Shas like Mchaim Kanievsky. But what was so unique to Rav Gershon Edelstein was is Yashros, seeing things clearly, not being distracted by the silly things in life. And in this letter, I think, it really, it screams out. Zen <speaking in Hebrew> This is the test that we have to withstand going through this time period. <speaking in> hanhoga <Hebrew> Our challenge is... Can we maintain composure? Can we continue being nice and civil to each other when we feel like the world is crumbling around us? bikoris al shum not to speak negatively about people, not to put others down. Try to speak like a mensch. Shahakoliah betzura neima kamoshet zarech lios mitoch avas Abrios. That should all be coming from that natural avas habrios. Don't let anything deter you from oheh habrios umakarven the torah. One last point I wanted to mention, which was also a very common theme with many of the questions posed to Rabbi Yeshen was his total recoil against Pearson. Translation of that is, we live in a reality where if people don't know who you are and what you're doing, you're worthless. The more people are aware of me, the more people admire me, the more people look at me and listen to me, that gives me some feeling of value, And my whole sense of self-worth, unfortunately, is often based on the external validation. And this could very much penetrate not just the world of business and making money, but it could penetrate in a real way the world of Torah. How much is the focus on PR? On making sure that everyone out there knows all the amazing things that we're doing. Now there's a time and place for that. If you want to be mechazek yourself, when something beautiful happens in the community, we'll have a a (laughs) learning on a Sunday morning, and we take pictures, so it makes sense. Send out the emails. Let people, part of the community, or even beyond, see what's happening, and they can be inspired by that. But when you start going down that path, where I have to make sure that everyone else knows what we're doing and why we're doing it and how incredible we are and how many people, and then you have to wonder, maybe we lost focus somewhere along the line. <coughs> the question that was posed to Gershon Edelstein, <laughs> It's accepted nowadays when you're opening up a new institution. You go big and you make sure everyone knows about it. Ha'im yesh inyan baze? Is this really something that one should do? Rav Gershon's response was ha'heph. The exact opposite is true. Odif Betsina bli persum. The amazing thing about Rav Gershon's life is that most people, even B'nai Torah around the world, didn't really know much about Rav Gershon himself until recently. His whole essence was, betzina bli piersum. People don't have to see. People don't have to know. My focus is: I'm doing my thing. I'm trying to play the role of mother, of father, of Rebbe. I'm doing my role. Mashipachos piersum yeshioser hatslacha, and don't be overly concerned about the fact that you're not getting yourself out there. The more tznius, the more modesty. The more self-worth you have, the more Hatslacha you will be zochetu. Blee piercing. One uh, question that comes up often now that you know we have uh, Baruch Hashem and new Beis Yaakov, and there are always interesting discussions of how to teach Chumash and Navi and what kind of midrashim to incorporate. And this is a question that goes to grade school as well. So someone asked Gershon Edelstein a question relating to how to involve midrashim, what types of midrashim to bring in. And his answer was just so to the point, with the clarity of, what are you trying to accomplish? His answer was, if you think it will bring more emunah, then do it. If you think it'll help the children connect more to a Kaddosh Baruch Hu by bringing in certain Midrashim, then go for it. Meaning you have to use your own sense of, of where the kids are and what they need. And that even means you could be creative. But at the same time, he held the torch of mesorah. When somebody asked him the question, for example, there's a new thing out there, memorizing Psukim. Should we try to get the kids to memorize Psukim? His response was, very bottom here at page 7, I don't think this is the the Mesorah. I don't think this is done as much. So that balance of putting aside all of the distractions, what are you trying to accomplish? You're trying to bring children closer to Hashem. How do you do that? They have to have a sense of simcha. simcha comes through showing them they could accomplish. Make sure they feel they have a mastery over what they're doing and who they are. Build them up as human beings, as obdeh Hashem. Try to create an environment of naimus, where it should be pleasant, there should be a smile, and with a little bit of humor, even during COVID. All of this, though, without any need for piersum, it should be Batsnius with modesty. Be creative, know what the kids need, but at the same time, make sure to hold on to the Musorah. These are some of the guiding ideas that we've learned from the life of Gershel Edestim. <speaking in Hebrew> Seeing someone like that and learning from a human being who not just shared the wisdom, but lived that wisdom, is something that British Shem will be very inspiring for us, and hopefully we could become that person for others. Good day. Uh-huh.